Hello, welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Jill Anderson. Today, we are talking to Mark Tappan, a professor at Colby College who researches boys' development and education. He is the co-author of Packaging Boys, Saving Our Sons from Superheroes, Slackers, and Other Media Stereotypes. Welcome to the EdCast, Mark. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's really great having you here today. How does it feel to be back at Harvard? It's been great. It's been wonderful. Uh, my wife and I finished our doctoral degrees here 30 years ago, and so it's been great to be back. So you're going to be giving a talk tomorrow at Harvard about developing ethical and engaged men. I have to ask, how do you create good men, and what does it mean when you say good men? Well, that's a great question, and I guess I would say that uh, this project began with uh, thinking about healthy masculinity as opposed to toxic masculinity, and there's a lot of news out there, a lot of bad news about men and toxic masculinity and the, the challenges facing men and the masks that men have to, and boys have to wear, so there's been a lot, a lot of bad news, but uh, in my work at Colby with young men, I've worked with some young men who really are trying to be better men, trying to be um, caring and compassionate and ethical, and sort of they're on the journey towards trying to be better. And so it felt like to me that it was really important to listen to them and to sort of listen to the good news that they have to share about sort of how they got there. And so, um, you know, good men, as I've uh, thinking about it is it, it sort of ethic. This term ethical and engaged men is the way we're thinking about what uh, or how we define healthy masculinity. And it's men, young men, uh, who are, as I said, trying to be good, trying to resist the negative pressures, trying to um, be good citizens, trying to live a life of caring and compassion and justice and fairness, and and trying to trying to you know be involved they're involved in social justice work gender violence prevention work and and um, not claiming to be perfect but really trying to trying to be better men sounds like it's about creating maybe a more well-rounded man um well yeah if the in the sense of well-rounded meaning sort of fully human, I guess, you know, <laughs> and I think that the pressures, and there are lots of people who really, you know, who've written about this, the pressures to to sort of live in the boy box or the man box and to be, you know, don't show emotions and to be tough and strong and stoic and, you know, kind of a, you know, sexual player, you know, those pressures are enormous and boys, uh, young men get those messages really early. So, yeah, Good ethical is is certainly, again, well-rounded in the sense of resisting the bad stuff and trying to embrace um, sort of, you know, the, the good stuff in, in human nature, I guess. Mm -hmm. So you're going to be talking about the 18 to 22-year-old male demographic. What can you tell us about this age group, maybe what's happening? Uh, sure, yeah. Well, it, partly it's because I've been teaching for the past 25 years at Colby, which is a small liberal arts college. So the 18 to 22-year-old demographic, those are the young folks I've been most intimately involved with and working with and, and um, you know, rewarded in my relationships uh, with those guys. And, 
men and women both, but in particular men who, again, have been committed to, to trying to do good work in the world. So, um, well, so Michael Kimmel, one of the sort of leading sociologists of gender, has written a book called Guyland, and Guyland is about this same age group, sort of 16 to 25 young adults, men who, um, you know, enter a world where they have to, and as Kimmel describes, you know, it's a very negative portrait of, of having to prove yourself, having to feel like um, they need to, you know, prove themselves as real men by, you know, binge drinking and, you know, having all kinds of uh, sort of negative behaviors, engaging in negative behaviors, um, getting involved in kind of hookup culture in a really negative way. So. Um, that, again, that portrait resonates uh, in many ways with um, aspects of small college life like Colby's, but um, again, I think there are a lot of men out there who, are, who resist that and who you know, struggle with, with how to, how to you know, manage their way through. And so um, we've been talking to those guys at Colby and, and identifying young men who um, are trying to be healthy, trying to be more round, well, more well-rounded, as you say. So we've been talking to them about their experience growing up, their experience at Colby, and, and trying to learn from them about what are the conditions that sort of supported them uh, on the positive journey, if you will. And is, has it been a, a real struggle for them, would um, you say? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, I think it's, it's, yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Um, but I think we're learning about, and again, I should say this is still sort of work in progress, and I'm working with some really wonderful student research assistants at Colby, but we're learning from their stories. We're learning about, um, you know, what's contributed to uh, their, you know, what's helped them along the way. And it, yeah, I mean, it's been harder from s for some than others. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it, the, again, the, the, the messages, the pressures, um, sort of out there, uh, the stereotypes that all of us who've grown up as men have to face are are pretty daunting. The, you know, the patriarchy is, you know, doesn't yield very easily. So um, that's what we're talking about in part is kind of resisting those pressures. And so it's um, it's, it's hard work, and and none of us are um, immune to falling into, you know, into some bad behaviors. You're talking about resisting the pressures yeah. of sort of what's yeah. out there. And I know that as part of your research, you look at the effects of media and role models on boys. And there's been a lot of people who look at our current president as really representing this idea of toxic masculinity. I'm curious if you think the president has a lot of power to influence boys. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that's sure. I mean, that the presidency, that, that has been... Again, you know, it's it's one of those uh, roles that has only in our country been occupied by men, and so it, it represents, in many ways, the you know a, a central element of the the patriarchy that is our culture. And so, absolutely, um, the you know Trump is the latest in that line. And um, given the way the media works these days, and the sort of ubiquitous nature of those media messages, I think even more so. So. Um, you know the the Access Hollywood escapade this fall and all of that was was very troubling uh, for for me and for lots of folks. And again, I 
I tried to take the angle on it to say, you know, yeah, there were a lot of uh, men publicly, pol politicians otherwise, who sort of fell into line behind Trump as defenders. And But um, there were a lot of also men who stood up to it and called it out, including, you know, President Obama, Vice President Biden, et cetera. And so that was the good news out of that, that there were, you know, we had a public kind of pushback. And... And that's the, those are the voices that I want us to make sure we hear. Just to take a step back, what do we really mean when we say toxic masculinity? Maybe help define that for listeners who don't know. Well, again, I think I've said it already. It's, it's the, you know, that's a term that's, being, that's been used to describe the pressures to be um, you know, tough and strong and to solve every problem with violence and to not show emotions and to feel like, you know, you have to be a winner and to, to be a, be a um, you know, the, 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 the person in charge or the center of attention at all times. And there's a lot of evidence that um, those kinds of characteristics and, and sort of buying into those stereotypes, you know, is really damaging for men's health physical health, psychological health, um, and there's lots of folks who've written about um, the price of kind of living up to that, those messages, that, that traditional sort of hyper-masculine stereotype. Um, so, um, you know, again, I, I, toxic, you know, gets a lot of attention, and I think rightly so, um, but there is, again, I'm come back to the, say there's another side to it too, the healthy side. Yeah. We t we're talking a lot about maybe older men or young men, but does creating good men start at birth? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It starts, uh, you know, very, at, you know, from birth and, and moving on. And so one of the things that we're hearing from the guys we're talking to is that family support and, you know, relationships are really critical to them in, in, in developing a kind of ethical, engaged um, way of being. And so, absolutely, families that are supportive, families that are, you know, don't, uh, you know, are flexible. Um, you know, boys typically, I certainly did growing up, get the message really early that, you know, boys don't like dolls, boys don't wear dresses, boys don't cry, big boys don't cry. All of those messages that boys get really, really early, and they get them so early that they have no other, you know, perspective to, to understand how the world might be different. So, one message to parents is to, you know, just, you know, don't, you know, construct those pressures or that, that sort of, you know, straight jacket or box or whatever the metaphor is, you know, too early for boys and just let them explore, let them, um, you know, express the full range of emotions for a long time. And there are lots of people who are, um, this is not my message, it's the message of William Pollock and Michael Kinlan and lots of folks who are, um, you know, concerned about that, those early um, parenting strategies that, you know, parents feel like, you know, that they're doing the right thing because they don't want their boys to be bullied or whatever. But, you know, I think it's, I think there's lots, again, lots of evidence that that's, those pressures um, starting so young can be really damaging to boys. Um, and it's, it's complicated because, you know, male privilege and male advantage and the advantage of being 
um, you know, male and um, you know, heterosexual and white and all of those multiple advantages uh, make it really hard for for men as their boys and men as they're growing up. And again, I speak from experience to to recognize the the costs because you know the world again. This is how the patriarchy works. Right? The world is um, set up to our advantage, but. Um, what we're learning from the guys we're talking to is that th there is a, you know, again, the costs are there, and there also is, it's possible to really develop a really healthy critique of all of that and a recognition of it and a kind of critical consciousness that um, can lead to, again, the, the more well-rounded, the, the more ethical, engaged perspective that that is, you know, I think what our world needs going forward for, for everybody, not just men. You know, you're talking about parents, but how do you see educators having a role in this? Well, the same, same, in the same ways uh, around, um, you know, building relationships with boys. Um, in a different project, colleagues and I talked to young boys in Maine in schools about their experience in school, and, um, you know, all of the boys we talked to, we did focus groups with boys, and they really valued the, the close relationships they had with adults in schools. And um, we were a little bit surprised by that, kind of you know buying into the old stereotypes that boys are independent and autonomous and don't really need relationships, but they really do. So that's a really important lesson that's been, again, comes out in this project as well. Um, teachers can help boys um, you know, develop this kind of critical perspective. Um, they can, the other thing that's been really important for the guys that we talk to is opportunities to be engaged in like activism and really, you know, kind of civic engagement projects. And that's a great thing for schools, um, a great opportunity. We've, in, in Waterville, we work with middle school boys and, um, you know, some of the really, the ways in which middle school boys can like identify an issue in school, like the way language is used, the way kind of homophobic language is used, for example, and say we're going to make a difference on that. Um, we're going we're gonna, to you know, have us all of our classmates take a pledge or something like that has been a really powerful experience for boys. So teachers can provide those opportunities for sure. That's really great. I'm curious how you wound up focusing on boys' development um, out of all the things you probably could have researched. How well, did you wind up here? <laughs> Well, that's interesting. I mean, th that's back. That's actually a Harvard Ed School story, really. I mean, I, when I was here, uh, I came to study moral development with Lawrence Kohlberg. Somebody, some folks will know Kohlberg, who was uh, here. You know, he was a central figure at the Ed School in the '70s and '80s. And um, but I also was drawn here in the early '80s to the work of Carol Gilligan. She was here as well. So. Um, I came to sort of work with both of them, and, and Carol's work on gender and her critique, uh, you know, her work in a different voice and her kind of critique of mainstream developmental psychology for not including the voice of girls and women was very um, important to me, and, um, and Michael Brown, my partner, you know, we, um, who worked with Carol, we met here and our work has been collaborative since then but so I've been interested in gender as a as a way to think about as a dimension that makes a difference in lives and so um, it seemed it was sort of natural as I started thinking first about girls and working with Carol and Lynn and others and then um, Lynn was actually the one who said you know you really 
you know, <laughs> you ought to think about boys. And I, I had been being uh, male myself, obviously. So it, it was, it felt like a natural extension. And it's, it's wonderful to kind of be back here um, this spring and to reconnect to s some of those um, early experiences that were very generative to me. Yeah, it seems like we hear a lot about girls. And yeah, yeah, and oh yeah. Not as much about boys in the, at least in the mainstream news. Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. And it's, um, so both, you know, and, and you know, gender these days is becoming so fluid that that binary is really breaking down. And so we really need to be thinking about the whole range of, of gendered experiences. I actually have a, one of the students on the project that we're working with has been interviewing um, transgender men and folks who identify as genderqueer. So we're trying to include that perspective as well in this project. So gender makes a difference. You know, it's the first thing that we want to know about a baby, right? And so for better or worse, it's, it's something we have to take, take seriously. Well, Mark, thank you so much for coming and talking about this interesting topic. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about what's next for your research project? Should people be on the lookout for a new book? Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a book coming out to, again, try to um, share what we learned talking to these uh, ethical, engaged young men and, and um, advice for parents and teachers in schools about how to, how to support their development. So that's, yeah, so look for that. Fingers crossed. <laughs> well, great. For those who are listening, you should stay tuned. So there's more to come right. from Mark. Um, anyway, thanks again, Mark. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Jill Anderson. Thanks for listening.